Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. So excited that you're here today. We're preaching through our series called Essentials, preaching through our doctrinal statement. We're looking at what followers of Jesus Christ should understand and believe. And today we come to the doctrine of the church. So let's take a look on your notes on the screen. Let's take a look at uh, our statement on the church. Uh, we believe the church is the company of believers united by the Holy Spirit into one body, the body of Christ. Each member of the church has been called by God to minister to others within the body and to manifest Jesus Christ to those who are without. So the church is many individual people who form one body, the body of Christ. Each member is to minister to the other members within the body. That's why at Rockbrook we believe that every member is a minister. In many churches, it's the pastor. It's the paid staff who do all the ministry, and the people just watch them do it. But at Rockbrook, we have a different organizational structure. It's a biblical organizational structure. It comes out of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, where the Bible teaches us that the people are the ministers. The pastors are the administers. The job of the pastor is not to do all the ministry. The job of a pastor is to train, equip, empower, and coach the members so they can do the ministry because every member is a minister. Not every member is a pastor, but every member is a minister. And that organizational structure flows out of the fact that Rockbrook is a purpose-driven church. We are driven by the purposes of God, both as a church and as individual members of the church. There's a purpose-driven church, and there's a purpose-driven life. Now, what does it mean to be purpose-driven? The word uh, to drive means to guide, control, and direct. When you drive a car, you guide, control, and direct the car down the highway. When you drive a nail, you guide, control, and direct the nail into the wood. When you drive a golf ball, you guide, control, and I'll give that one up. That never really happens, okay? So every church is driven by something. Some churches are driven by tradition. Uh, how can you tell if a church is driven by tradition? Their favorite saying is, we've never done it that way before. We've always done it this way. But the fact that you've always done something one way doesn't mean that's still the best way to do it, doesn't even mean that it still needs to be done. Some churches are driven by personality, the personality of the pastor, or maybe it's the personality of, of, of a layperson who's been in the church forever. But what happens when that person leaves or dies or has a moral failure? And we've all seen ministries that were built on a single superstar, and then that person stumbles or leaves or dies, and the ministry collapses. Some churches are driven by finances. How can you tell if a church is driven by finances? The question is always, how much will it cost? How much will it cost? But the bottom line is not the bottom line in a church. The bottom line in a church is, is the church fulfilling the purposes of God? Uh, some churches are driven by buildings. Building-driven ch churches often build beyond their capacity to pay for it, and then they become financially strapped. They're unable to fulfill the ministry that they need to do because the mortgage has become the number one priority. If you build a crystal cathedral, 
somebody's got to pay for the Windex. Okay? Some churches are driven by programs. They have a youth program, a music program, a children's program, a men's program, a women's program. Everything is driven by the programs of the church. Some churches are driven by events. In an event-driven church, the key is the calendar. And you want to keep the calendar as full of events as you possibly can. This event ends, you plan another one, you plan another one, you plan another one. And you have people running from event to a meeting to event to a meeting, and eventually you wear them out. So what's the biblical alternative? The biblical alternative is to be a purpose-driven church. You're guided, controlled, and directed by the purposes of God for the church. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a man's heart. Tradition, finances, buildings, events, personalities, programs. But it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Circle the word prevail in both of those verses. Because a prevailing church is a church that is guided, controlled, and directed by the purposes of God. Now, what are the priorities in a purpose-driven church? Well, the number one priority in a purpose-driven church is God's purposes. Tradition, personalities, finances, uh, buildings, programs, events, those are not bad. Those things, in fact, those things are very important uh, in the church. But they cannot be the number one priority. Those things must all be subservient to the purposes of God. Priority number two in a purpose-driven church is people. People are here to fulfill the purposes of God. People are not the number one priority in a church. If people are your number one priority, you're not a church, you're a social club. The goal of the church is to help people fulfill God's purposes. To help people come together as the body of Christ. Minister to one another within the church and reach out to the people who don't have Christ. Priority number three in a purpose-driven church is programs. Programs. Programs are good, but no program lasts forever. Programs are simply tools to help people fulfill God's purposes. But too many churches use people to build their programs. At Rockbrook, we want to use our programs to build our people. You know, I know we're very busy around here. You look at our calendar, this is a busy, busy place. But we intentionally try to build in seasons of rest. You know, that's why our small group semesters have gaps in between them. Because we want to give people an opportunity to rest. We want to give the leaders time to recuperate and carpet and repaint. (laughs) That's why we rotate our musicians. You know, if you're going to commit to rehearsing every week and playing five times every weekend, that's a heavy, heavy load. And so we rotate musicians so they, they, get, they get a rest. We don't burn them out. That's why we encourage people to work one service and worship one service. We're not asking you to work and worship all five services. In fact, yesterday, Saturday, we had people who worked one and worshiped one at 5 o'clock and at 6.30. Guess where they are this morning? They're home asleep. Okay? That's wonderful. That's why we design it that way. You know, in our programs, we build in times of tension and release. You hit it hard for a season, and then you take a break. You hit it hard for a season, and then you relax. If you hit it hard all the time, you'll burn out. 
If you're relaxed all the time, you, you won't grow or accomplish anything. And I'll just tell you, some of you need to step up and get involved in ministry. It's time for you to hit it hard for a season. And some of you need to find someone to step up and take your place so you can take a break. Don't just quit and leave us in a lurch. Find someone to take your place so you can get a break. And, and, you know, our programs are not our highest priority. That's why over the years we'll change, modify, even eliminate a program. Because we view our programs as tools to build people up so they can fulfill God's purposes. Programs don't last forever. God's purposes do. Programs can run their course, even good ones. Priority number four in a purpose-driven church is property. Property is simply a place uh, where you can do programs that allow people to fulfill God's purposes. And so the goal is to build your people, not just build a steeple. So property is the the fourth priority in a purpose-driven church. Now, the purposes of the church are prayed about by Jesus in John 17. In John 17, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed to the Father and he summarized his ministry of the last three years with his disciples. And what Jesus prayed was about the purposes that God had given him. And the purpose he had with his disciples is the purpose we're to have with our disciples here today. In Acts chapter 2, is where the church begins. And in Acts chapter 2, the purposes are modeled for us. From the very beginning, the church has been committed to doing the five purposes of God. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. What the church did at the start, that's what God wants the church to do today. And then in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul explains the purposes of the church. He explains how life works for the believer, how life works within the church. So Jesus praised the five purposes of the church in John 17. The five purposes are modeled in Acts 2. And Paul explains the five purposes in Ephesians 4. Once you know what the five purposes of the church are, you will see them prayed for, modeled, and explained all through the New Testament. Once you know what they are, they'll just they'll leap off the page as you're reading through. Whoa, there they are again. I mean, it's kind of fun just to read through the New Testament. Whoa, there's the purposes. There they are. But the purposes are most clearly presented to us in two passages of Scripture, two great passages of Scripture, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And if you get these two passages settled deep into your heart, you will know and understand the purpose of the church. You will know and understand the purpose of your life. So, uh, now let me, by the way, you don't get to decide what the purposes are. We, we don't get to determine the purposes. It's not our church, it's Christ's church. He's the one who died for it. Jesus said, I will build my church, not I'll build a church for you the way you think it ought to be. We don't get to determine the purposes, we just get to do them. So a church is to do the things that Jesus commanded in the great commandment. One day a man came to Jesus and he said, well, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And, you know, you know, there aren't just 10 commandments in the Old Testament. There are over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. That's a lot of commandments to obey. So the guy's got a legitimate question. You know, he's wondering, he's, how do I cut through the clutter on all of this and get to the heart of the matter? I mean, I don't know that I can obey over 600 commandments, but tell me what the one is I really need to try and get right. And so Jesus answers the guy's question. And he tells him that that he can sum up the whole Old Testament. The law and the prophets can be summed up in two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And those two commands are the first two purposes of the church. They're the first two purposes of your life. You know, they're not just for the church as a group. They're for the individual members of the church. And they sum up the whole Old Testament. Now, loving God is worship. Loving God is worship. Loving your neighbor is ministry. Anytime you love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, that's worship. Worship's not just music. Worship is expressing your love to God. And you can express your love to God through giving. You can express your love uh, to God through praying. You can express your love to God through confession of your sin. You can express your love to God through uh, testimony, telling your story. You can uh, worship God through uh, reading his word. You can worship God through obeying his word. Uh, You can worship God through your work if you're doing it out of your love for him. So worship's not just music. Worship is expressing my love to God. First purpose of your life, first purpose of the church. The Bible says the Father seeks worshipers. That's why Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment. First purpose of the church, first purpose of your life. But it doesn't stop there. He says the second one's just like it. Second one is I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself. And the word for loving your neighbor is the word ministry. In the Greek, uh, the the word for minister and the word for servant are the same word. A minister is a servant. A servant is a minister. So anytime you are serving the need of someone, you are doing ministry. Loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is not just having a warm, fuzzy feeling toward them. Love must flow out of the heart, into the hands, into the feet, into the voice. Love, love is motion, not just emotion. Okay? So anytime you serve someone else, you're practicing the second purpose of your life, the second purpose of the church. You're doing ministry. Every member needs to be a minister. So from the great commandment, we, we get worship and ministry. The church is to worship God and love people. The Christian is to love God and uh, worship God and love uh, other people. Now, the other great verse is the Great Commission. And we get three action words uh, from this passage. The Great Commandment sums up the whole Old Testament. The Great Commission sums up the whole New Testament. So it, it describes what we as the church, as believers, are to do. That's why it's called a commission. And Jesus says we are to go make disciples. That's evangelism. He says, we are to teach them to do everything I've commanded you. That's discipleship. And notice I've skipped one. We'll come back to that. But we're to make disciples and we are to train disciples. Said last week that the salvation is not the goal of the Christian life. Salvation is the start of the Christian life. Discipleship, training, teaching people to obey, that's the goal of the Christian life. Theological word for that is sanctification. I, uh, sanctification is when I learn to obey all Jesus wants me to do. Now, between those two purposes of evangelism and discipleship, Jesus says we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism comes between evangelism and discipleship, bringing people to Christ and building them up to maturity in Christ. In between there, there's baptism. And baptism is is a purpose of the church, it's a purpose of your life, and its purpose is fellowship. 
Now, along with fellowship, I want you to write down uh, two words, incorporation and identification. Okay? Fellowship, incorporation, and identification. Baptism is not just a symbol of our salvation. It's a symbol of our incorporation into the body of Christ. It's a symbol that we have become a part of the family of God. It identifies us as a child of God in the family of God. It's not simply a ritual that says, hey, I've been saved. No, it's a ritual that says, hey, I belong. Hey, I'm, I'm one of his. So worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. Those are the five purposes of the church and the five purposes in the life of a believer. None of that is new. In fact, I could take you to hundreds, probably even thousands of books written over the last 2,000 years that identify these five things as the purposes of the church. There is no disagreement about these five things being the purposes of the church. Protestants agree, Catholics agree, Pentecostals agree, Baptists agree, Independents agree, Reformed churches agree. There's no disagreement that these are the purposes of the church. The question is, is are these purposes the priority in your church? Are these purposes what guide, control, and direct your church? The question is, are these five purposes the priority in your life? Do these five things guide, control, and direct your life? That, that's, that's the question. That's what makes somebody purpose-driven. It makes the church purpose-driven. Now, when I first encountered the concept of being purpose-driven, I'd been a believer for 15 years. I'd been a pastor for five years. And I had, I had a good life, a good marriage, a good family, a good ministry. But honestly, my life was driven by tradition, personality, finances, buildings, programs, and events. And those are all good things. And they will give you a good life. But when I realized that I was really giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes, when I realized that God was calling me to something higher, something better, something more powerful, something more dynamic, when I realized that God had five great purposes for my life, not just good purposes, but great purposes, my life, my marriage, my family, my ministry exploded to a whole new level. I mean, it, it's amazing. When I had attended church, Sunday school, Bible college, seminary, gone to university to work on a PhD. For years, I'd been a pastor, and somehow I had missed God's purposes. I'd missed it. But in 1997, I went to a purpose-driven church conference, and Pastor Rick Warren opened up these two passages of Scripture to me, and my life, my marriage, my family, my ministry went from good to great. To great. And I can sum up how that happened in one sentence. If I could give you the secret sauce to life, it would be, it would be one statement that summarizes the purpose-driven life. And that is a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. And you'll see at the end, it'll also grow a great Christian. Okay? You want to build something that's going to last, you have to have a solid foundation. No building can grow larger than the foundation that it has. You want to grow a great church? You want to grow a great marriage or family life? 
There's no greater foundation than the great commandment and the great commission. Because, because we are to be believers, belongers, and becomers. We are to believe in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in Christ and it'll solve your sin problem. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll get rightly related with God. Believe in Jesus Christ and his power and presence will, will, will give you what you need to live here on earth. Believe in Christ, you'll get the hope of heaven. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're also to belong to the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God doesn't save you so you can be a spiritual orphan. God doesn't save you to be a spiritual hermit. God saves you to be part of a body, a family, a flock, a community, a fellowship, a church. God wants you to belong to the church. We are to become like Christ. God's plan from the very beginning is not that you would be the greatest you you could ever be. God's plan for you is that you would become like Jesus Christ, the greatest person who ever lived. God's plan from the very beginning is that you would become like Christ. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We're to believe, belong, and become. And the way we do that is by pursuing the purposes of God. And the way we as a church do that in your life is we do the purposes of God. That's why the church exists to, number one, celebrate God's presence through worship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Yes, you can worship individually, but God also calls us to worship as the church. The church exists to communicate God's word through evangelism. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work the Lord Jesus gave me to do. What's the mission? What's the work the Lord gave me to do? To tell people the good news of God's grace. When you get to heaven, there are going to be lots of things that you can do. There's lots of things you can do here on earth. There's going to be lots of things to do in heaven. But there are only two things that you can do here on earth that you can't do there in heaven. Two things. One of them is sin. You can sin here, but there's no sin in heaven. The second one is share the gospel and lead someone to Jesus Christ. You can do that here. You can't be, won't be able to do that in heaven because everybody's already believers. So the, oh, there's two things that you can do here that you can't do in heaven. Which one of those two do you suppose God left you here on earth to do? Sin or share the gospel? Okay? Evangelism is one of the purposes of the church. Evangelism is one of the purposes of, of your life. The church exists to number three, to incorporate God's family through fellowship. You are members of God's very own family. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. When we hear the word fellowship at church, we often think it means coffee and pie and conversation and just happy social interaction. We're going to have a time of fellowship, so we all get together and eat and giggle. And, uh, you know, uh, but the Bible, that's part of it. And the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. The Bible says we need to be hospitable. The Bible says, that, you know, we need to feast as much as we fast. Most of us probably need to fast more than we feast, but anyway, 
Bible gives us license to do both. But the Bible, the, the word fellowship in the Bible has a deeper meaning than that. The word fellowship in the Bible means you do life together. Whatever comes, you rejoice with those who rejoice, you weep with those who weep, you bear one another's burdens. You do the 58 one another's that it tells us to do in the New Testament. And actually in the Bible, the deepest kind of fellowship is the fellowship of suffering. It's when we go through the most difficult times together that we grow the most and we grow the closest. You see that in small groups all the time. A small group that's just been kind of happy and larky together for, you know, a while and all of a sudden somebody in the group loses a child or a parent or they get cancer or they lose their job or there's a crisis and that group just huddles around and man, the growth happens because the body of Christ is doing what it's supposed to do in real fellowship. Church exists to educate God's people through discipleship. Ephesians 4, building up the church, the body of Christ, to a position of strength and maturity until all become full grown in the Lord. That's what we're doing in this service. That's what Pastor Don and his team are doing across the way in Rockbrook for Kids. That's what Pastor Andrew and his team will do tonight in our student service. That's what we do in our small groups. I mean, yes, you can study the Bible alone by yourself, and you should. But if you really want to learn it better, you want to retain it longer, and you want to apply it more deeply, that happens in community. That happens with other people. Because iron sharpens iron. Number five, the church exists to demonstrate God's love through ministry. One of the purposes of the church is to equip God's people for the work of the ministry. It's the mutual ministry of the members to one another that makes the church work. Every member is a minister. So, so what is it that makes a church like Rockbrook a purpose-driven church? In order to have a purpose-driven church, you have to have a system in place that balances the five purposes. Okay? Let me illustrate this. Uh, uh, your body is made up of at least nine different systems. You have a skeletal system. That's your bones. Do you know that, that an organism cannot grow above nine inches uh, without a skeleton? If you didn't have a skeleton, you'd just be a nine-inch high blob that would kind of waddle in here and try and get up in the chair. Okay? Let that image stick with you for a while. But you have a skeletal system. You have a muscular system of muscles and ligaments that ties those bones together. And then you have a nervous system that sends signals from the brains out to the muscles so you can do this. Okay, aren't you glad? Okay. You, you have a circulatory system that pumps blood to your muscles and your bones and your nerves and your organs. You have a respiratory system that brings in oxygen and uh, emits uh, carbon dioxide or monoxide, whichever one of those it emits. You, you have a digestive system, that's my favorite, that provides food and nourishment to, to all the other systems. And you have an immune system that fights off infections. And when all these different systems are in balance, we call that health. When they're in systems are in balance, it's called health. When these systems get out of balance, that's called dis-ease or disease. And when a, a doctor tries 
to bring someone uh, from illness to health, what he tries to do is get those systems back into balance. Because a balanced body is a healthy body. And a healthy body is a growing body. Same is true with the body of Christ. The reason why most people don't grow spiritually, the, the reason why most churches don't grow, is because they're asking the wrong question. They're asking the question, what would make my church grow? And that's the wrong question. The right question to ask is, what is keeping my church from growing? What's keeping me from growing spiritually? What are the barriers that are holding me back from growing? Where is my church out of balance? Where is my life out of balance? Because the church, the body of Christ, is a body. It's not a business. It's an organism, not an organization. The church is a living thing, and all living things grow. It's natural for the body of Christ to grow. Growth is the sign of life. If, uh, if you're not growing, you're dying. And so just as your body has nine systems that keep it healthy and alive and functioning, the church must have systems that keep it healthy, alive, and functioning. A healthy church has systems that keep those five purposes that God has for the church balanced. Balanced. Because growth comes from health, and health comes from balance. If a church is healthy, growth is a natural result. If a Christian is healthy, growth is the, spiritual growth is the natural result. And it, 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 it's health, balance leads to health, health leads to growth. That's why the Bible likes to use the image of the church being the body of Christ, because we can readily see how this process works in our bodies. Every baby in the world goes through the exact same stages of growth. Every baby in the world, the first thing they have to learn is how to breathe. And if you've ever had a premature baby, you know that's, that's the first struggle. Well, we had uh, twin grandsons that were born, weighed three pounds, fit in, the, fit in your hand. And I just remember those little boys laying in that incubator and the air just puffing, trying to teach those little boys how to breathe because you've got to learn how to breathe. And after you learn how to breathe, you've got to learn how to sleep. And then when you wake up, you're hungry. So you have to learn how to eat. And then you, you learn to breathe before you learn to sleep, before you learn to eat, and then you learn to walk before you learn to talk, unless you're a girl. Yeah, And you're laughing, but that's true. That, 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 that's true. And so there, there are, are life stages, developmental stages of physical growth, uh, physical health. The same is true, same development stages of spiritual growth. There are developmental stages of spiritual growth. And the purpose-driven church, it's not a model for church growth. It's, it's a model for church health. Because the goal is we want to make people healthy, and, 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 and that's what makes them healthy disciples, and that's what makes disciples grow. We're in the, we're, we move people from being an unbeliever to being a believer, from being a believer to becoming a member from being a member to getting plugged into fellowship in a small group, from, from, from being a, a member to becoming a, a disciple that's growing. As they become a disciple, then we move them into ministry where they use their gifts, talents, and, and life experiences to minister to the body. And then we move them out on mission. And so we have a system, we have an established process that moves you through the stages of spiritual growth. And it's designed to help you balance 
the five purposes in your life. Listen, folks, everything we do around here is very intentional. It's very intentional. We have designed our weekend services intentionally to establish God's purposes in your life. We've designed our small groups intentionally to help you experience God's purposes in your life. You do life together in a small group. We've designed our growth track intentionally to explain God's purposes to you. We have 101 Church, 201 Essentials, 301 Discovery, and 401 Dream Team. They're based on the purposes and they explain them to you. And then we've intentionally designed our dream team to help you express God's purposes for your life. Because every member is a minister. Now, why do we do these things as a church? Because many are the plans in a man's heart. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to raise a family. I'm going to play golf. My kids are going to play soccer. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon. And then I'm going to retire. Many are the plans in a man's heart. But it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We do these things because we are to believe in Christ, belong to the body of Christ, and become like Christ. We do these things because growth comes from health and health comes from balance. We do these things because of of how Jesus Christ views the church. You know, in our day today, it's just sort of the vogue and the fashion, even among Christians, to trash the church, disrespect the church, to whine and complain about the church. And you know, when I, when I see that going on and I hear that, it does two things to me. One is it breaks my heart. The other one is it makes me mad. But it breaks my heart because the church is Christ's body. The church is Christ's bride. The church is Christ's family. If somebody disrespects or trashes your body, your bride, or your family, how does that make you feel? And yet today, even within the church, we think nothing of trashing and disrespecting the church. We need to catch a vision for how Jesus Christ sees the church. Look in Ephesians 5. It says, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did it to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. That's how Jesus views the church. That's how we need to, need to view it. And we do these things because we invite you to be part of it. God invites you to be part of that because a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great Christian. And I make no apology whatsoever for asking you to make a great commitment to the church, to this church. Church is the greatest cause in the history of the universe. The church is the only thing that's going to get out of this world alive. And I'll just tell you from my own personal experience, the more I commit my life to fulfilling these two great passages of Scripture, the more I commit my life to the purposes of God, the more I commit my life to the local church, the greater my life, my marriage, my family, my ministry becomes. The church is God's plan. The church is what God's doing in the world. And by His grace, He invites you and me to participate 
and share in the reward. Let's pray together. Maybe you're here today and and you need to make a commitment to Christ. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And so in this moment, you can just say, God, I believe. I want Jesus to come into my life, forgive my sins, bind up my wounds, give me purpose and power for living. I just believe in Jesus. And maybe you've been a believer for a long time and you've never stepped up and gotten committed to a local church. And so this is your day to make that decision. I'm going I'm to belong to the body of Christ. I'm going to go to Church 101 in our growth track. I'm going to go to 201, 301, 401. I'm going to get plugged into a small group. I'm going to make a commitment to belong to the body of Christ. And maybe today you need to make a commitment to become like Jesus Christ. To let God begin to use you for the purposes that he created you for. Many are the plans in a man's heart. God, today... I'm giving my life to you for the purposes that you made me for. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.